The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abu Al Samad. Sam, it's okay to sleep now. <laughs> no, no. I can't. Can't do it, man. Can't, you have, can't do yeah, it. Yeah, right. You'll probably have like uh, nightmares given the last uh, couple weeks of your life. Yeah, I mean, you know, for, for me, the first two weeks of the year are, you know, there's probably. The, the biggest slog of the whole year, you know, going from CES to um, the North American International Auto Show in Detroit, you know, pretty, two pretty solid weeks of stuff that's going on. And uh, uh, it's over now, so we can move on. For now, yeah. And it's interesting because doing those two shows back to back, which we'll talk about as we get into the podcast, uh, informs your take, sort of one informs the other. Yes. Um, so it's an interesting sort of dichotomy. Um, but you know, first and foremost, we, we talk about what we're driving. Oh, before I get there, I did it. I finally did it. I made a Spotify playlist. And so I need, most importantly, I need your feedback. If you have a chance to check it out, or if you, you've already checked it out, I need to know if my taste is bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's pretty much a given, isn't it? Yeah, it probably is. It's like <laughs> I have made the uh, the playlist equivalent of um, plaid interior, but not like GTI <laughs> plaid, like <laughs> terrible pacer plaid. Oh, um, yeah, that's painful. <laughs> um, so when you have a chance uh, in and this is kind of open to to whoever's um, listening, I, I put a, a link out there via Facebook and Twitter. Um because, you know, certainly there's I got here with our, our Led Zeppelin discussion a while ago. <laughs> I was like, I should make a playlist. So there's lots of Zeppelin on it, <laughs> which is good. Spe- speaking Ish. of Zeppelin, um, have you ever heard Greta Van Fleet? Yes, Greta Van Fleet is very good. And they that, sound like what, they grew up. That's what they're playing as the, the lead in music to the uh, the Ram press conference on Monday morning. Yeah, I thought they were from that area. They're from Michigan. I think. Uh, I think so. I think I seem to recall hearing that somewhere. Yeah. And they're very young. So they, they yeah. yes, they, they sound good. And the, the um, singer sounds just like Robert Plant in his prime. Yeah. Which I mean, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, mean, I, and I, I, I find that a great thing. I no, no it, it is. It, they, they're really good. Um, they started, it's funny cause we've got this, this collection of uh, folks at the agency, we're, we're all roughly the same age. And so we, we have these, it's like high fidelity, but not as cool as the movie was. <laughs> so we have these discussions at the end of a meeting. We'll often just devolve into talking about rock and roll. 
And um, so that Greta Van Fleet sort of went around our, our agency Slack, like, hey, check these guys out. They sell, you know, listen to what they sound like. And so, yes, um, I'm glad that they're they're getting some notice because they're kind of young. They're kind of new. And uh, yeah, there's none of that on the playlist yet. I should go pick some. They just released another. I think they released a full length because they had an EP. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, enough of that. Moving on. Uh, yes. So we're driving things and um, you, you you go first. Yeah. So, you know, um, a lot of the automotive media that is not from Detroit uh, comes from California and, and other uh, warm and sunny places. And so, you know, we have this kind of running joke uh, with all of them, you know, that have to fly in here every year in January that, you know, we have a, we have a special standing order for, you know, frigid temperatures and a snowstorm, uh, usually on the, the Friday or Saturday, right before they fly into town uh, to start the show. And this year did not disappoint. You know, yeah. we had we had temperatures in the in the single digits on Saturday uh, prior to the, the start of the, the show and um, uh, snowed. Uh, yeah, snowed on Friday and Saturday, so it was, it was perfect weather. And uh, given that, you know, give, given that standing or, you know, weather order that we have, uh, I was fortunate enough uh, this past week to have scheduled uh, a Jeep Compass uh, with all, with their four wheel drive system. And it wasn't the Trailhawk that uh, uh, I originally thought I was getting; it's the Limited, but it's it's the next best thing. And yeah. um, you know, as as much as you know, people you know gave jeep grief uh i think you know when the original compass debuted and in many ways it was utterly justified um the the fact is even though you know we're talking about a vehicle that's a you know based on a a front wheel drive crossover platform um jeep does not disappoint i mean you know they may they may take a front you know transverse engine unibody platform that you know it uh, it comes based with you know standard with front, front wheel drive but they when they put four wheel drive on it, it's an honest to goodness Jeep. You yeah, know, Jeeps I mean, drive it, like Jeeps too. Yeah, you know? like you know, and especially the Trailhawk version, which like I said I didn't have the Trailhawk. I had the um, the uh, the Limited, but the Trailhawk. I actually drove the Trailhawk last summer at uh, the at the Chrysler Chelsea Proving Grounds here in Michigan, and you know took the, actually drove Trailhawk versions of all the Jeeps: the Renegade, the Compass, the Cherokee, uh, and the Wrangler over the off-road course that they have there. And we're talking, you know, a serious off-road test course, you know, 16 inches of water or muck actually is more like it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, over boulders and logs and all this stuff. And the compass, you know, you know, handled it with no issue at all. So when I found out I was getting a compass, you know, during auto show week, it's like, yes, no, this, this will be easy to, you know, to get to and from Detroit. And it worked great, you know, when, yeah. in some pretty nasty weather a couple of the days. So, wow. like, even the old Compass was a great friend in terrible weather. It was it was not a great car, but it it just you know it was definitely sure footed and mm-hmm. uh, it was comfortable enough. Um, you know, and that's especially after they refreshed the interiors. Um, it, it was it was an okay place. It was still a little loud and and whatever, but they it drove well. And and even those cars. Um, when you got them equipped the right way, they were way more capable than you'd expect. And my question now for the, the compass is, you know, it looks like a little mini um, grand Cherokee, especially in limited trim. It almost feels that way. It's, it's nice and mm-hmm. it looks good and it it's based on the 500 X. So it's pretty good to drive um, way better than the renegade in my opinion. Um, 
And so where does it leave the Cherokee, though? The Cherokee is just slightly larger, really, it seems like it, it almost seems like they're, they're the Jeep models are right on top of each other size wise. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Cherokee is a little bit bigger. Um, you know, the Compass is improved over the pre- the first generation model in virtually every way. Um, and I say virtually, which and I'll come back to that, you know, the, the stipulation there in, in a moment. But, you know, in terms of its looks, um, its interior, you know, the packaging is much better. Um, ride quality, you know, combination of both, you know, ride quality and um, its all weather handling capability. You know, it's it was really, you know, it was a really pleasant vehicle to drive. Um, you know, I, it was absolutely sure footed. You know, I mean, it had had some good winter tires on there. Um and, you know, I would have, you know, no qualms about, you know, recommending the, uh, the compass to pretty much anybody that was looking for something, you know, especially if they lived in an area, you know, where they do get some bad weather um, and, you know, want something that was that was able to handle that. Um, you know, it's, it's fairly roomy, um, even on, you know, some particularly nasty roads in Detroit. You know, I mean, it just swallowed that stuff up with no problem at all. And, you know, because of the, the really frigid temperatures we've had over the last several weeks, um, you know, we've got there were I noticed the other day when I was driving home uh, at the end of an early day when it was still light out along I-94, there were several areas where there were pretty big craters forming, you know, where the, the water had seeped in underneath froze expanded it up and then it collapsed down collapsed back down you know and so it was starting to form a a crater and there was going to be some pretty nasty potholes there in the next week or so um and you know it just glided over them without any issue at all um the only complaint i have about the compass uh, at this stage you know as as a compact crossover goes is the engine because it still has the the 2.4 liter uh what they call the tiger shark um which you know it, its history goes back about a decade to when they when chrysler did a, a joint project with hyundai and mitsubishi to create this 2.4 liter engine architecture and i think ultimately mitsubishi i think dropped pretty much dropped out of that project uh and left only uh chrysler and and uh, uh, did i say mitsubishi dropped out um, Hyundai, yeah, Hyundai dropped out Hyundai. that's that's and, the jima engine though right um yeah yes yeah, yeah, so it's it's built here in Michigan, and it's always been a pretty unrefined engine as four cylinders as modern four well, cylinders go. What it's, I always thought was weird, like yes, in in Chrysler products it is, but in the Hyundai version it's not bad. Uh, well, the Hyundai version I think is quite different. Oh, okay. uh, that's that's what I'm saying. I mean, they you know Hyundai kind of pulled out and went their own way, and their engine is pretty significantly different. So you know, it's. It's always been, you know, kind of uh, noisy and not particularly powerful, not particularly fuel efficient. Uh, you know, it got better when they added the the Fiat Multi Air system to the to the valve train, but it's it's still not a particularly refined engine. You know, the the Compass only got, you know, I think twenty one miles per gallon, which actually, you know, considering the cold temperatures and everything, it wasn't bad, but. Uh, Should be it, better. Yeah, I mean, I I would expect better from a from a two point four liter, um, you know. But aside from that, 
you know, the, the rest of it is, it was really nice to drive. You know, the seats are comfortable, you know, nice, nice material, nice, you know, material, uh, choice of materials inside, you know, it was well executed. Um, and you know, everything worked well, you know, and it's, it's got, uh, the, the, it's got the latest version of the Uconnect system in there, uh, with support for Android auto and CarPlay. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was a good vehicle to have during, uh, some bad January weather. Yeah, it's funny how terrible weather can really shift your opinion of a vehicle. Um, You know, like you appreciate different things about it um, when you have it in those conditions um, versus like, you know, the sort of general fair, fair weather that. You know, you'd assume. Yeah, I mean, when when you when you use a vehicle in kind of the environment that it's designed for, um, that you know, uh, uh, whatever flaws it might have in other respects, kind of tend to fall away to some degree. And you know, not not that the Compass actually has a lot of flaws. Like I said, uh, you know, overall, aside from the engine, I, I liked it a lot. And you know, hopefully, one of the things that will uh, get updated for 2019, uh, you know, for the 2019 model year is. Perhaps they'll add the the new uh, two liter four cylinder turbo uh, that's in the Compass and the Wrangler as an option to this, or maybe a, a smaller displacement, you know, one point eight liter version or one point six liter version, uh, because I think you know with with an engine a more modern engine like that, it it, it would actually be you know a a really competitive vehicle. Yeah, well, I mean it already is competitive, mm-hmm. just by much more more it. much more yeah. so though. Yeah. Um, yeah, Jeep. Jeep is one of those brands that just doesn't. They're they're doing things very well. <laughs> they, yeah, they they have hit their stride. Um, did it did it have the black roof? I I was fascinated. Yes, um, it did. So it? yeah, it was the two tone. It was uh, black over red. Um, it looks so good. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think yeah, I think I agree. I think it's a it's a really cool look. You know, just a little you know a, a real thin chrome strip around the the side glass. Uh, you know, and the you know the the new look on the front and and on the rear. You know, it was it was great. I was I was very pleased with it. I was fascinated. Um, I saw an episode of Auto Line. Uh, I think it might have been Auto Line After Hours. This was a, a few months ago, um, and they. They had someone from Jeep on, and he was talking about that black roof uh, look, and the the paint process for it is actually sort of they they it's wet on wet, which is something that requires a little bit of engineering know how and and uh, paint shop uh, finesse. So, so what you what you're saying is we'll never see something like that from from Tesla. Uh, I would assume that a lot of the production refinements that we take for granted on mass market cars are going to be very difficult for Tesla to um, pull off un- unless they stop their their small batch craft production hubris methods. <laughs> uh, was, okay, enough uh, Tesla bashing for now. <laughs> for now, for now. Um, all right, yeah, I, I really liked the Compass as well. Um, I, I think it's a fantastic update. The The engine is a little bit uncouth, but uh, they'll, they'll get to that. You know what? Yeah. They should make a wankle. Just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But yeah, and you know, if if you're if you want something in this class that is also capable of some serious off roading, you know, if you want to go, you know, down some two tracks, um, you know, the Trailhawk is a, an excellent choice as well. You know, it it's got 
um, Jeep's most advanced four-wheel drive system with lo- both locking front and rear axles. Um, you know, does it have little, a locking center differential as well? Locking center diff as well. Yeah, um, and, that will go anywhere. Yeah, and you know, you've got the uh, you know hill descent control and everything. So basically, you know, you just put it in this mode. And, you know, it'll it'll basically just crawl down any hill or up any hill. All you have to do is just steer it. And, you know, it's, you know, just effortlessly goes through whatever you, you throw at it. Yeah. And that that works uh, really well. And, and Jeep knows it's it's niche. Um, they they make good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, you, know I, you, can, you can get this thing up on two wheels, you know, and, you know, two diagonally opposed wheels and it just keeps on going. Yeah, and so that's that would actually be deadly for a lot of um, other vehicles that have uh, open differentials. So an yeah, open differential they would, they would just you, get stuck. They, right. they wouldn't be going anywhere. Um, the thing with an open differential that most people don't realize is it's actually kind of one-wheel drive. Um, yeah. The wheel with the least traction gets the most torque, um, which it, there's no way around it. Uh, the, well, I guess now the way around it is brake-based traction control. Um, so, you know, technology has made that part of life a little better, but still at a certain point you just get stuck Yeah. <laughs> until you can lock them. Um, I, I love, uh, in the winter when I have the chance to put the Jeep in four low and lock everything up and it, it, I feel like I could just climb the side of the house. You, pr- you probably <laughs> could. Super entertaining. As long as, long as, you, as long as you had tires with sufficient traction, because ultimately yeah. it does come down to the tires. You can have all the fancy hardware in the world and in, in the, in the chassis. But if your tires can't get a grip on the on whatever surface you happen to be rolling across, you're not going anywhere. You know? Yeah. But, you know, ultimately, mu st- you know, F still equals mu N. <laughs> I, I, all right. I'm going to let that one stand. <laughs> um, all right. So I, this week, I actually had quite a big um, surprise. So they dropped You had a off, crossover too, right? I did. I, they dropped off a Toyota CHR. Um, have you had a chance to drive one? Uh, not yet. Um, okay. I'll probably be scheduling one in the next couple of months. So my first impression was like, boy, that's a whole lot of styling on a tiny little <laughs> car. Um, and, and it is. Uh, it, it, it's possibly an acquired taste. It's not terrible, um, but it's, it's a little bit over the top for a Toyota. And that's part of what Toyota is trying to do, I think, is put a little bit more... Um, put a little bit more life, a little bit more spark into its brand. Uh, and I, you know, having just spent some time in the Corolla, I expect it to be very underwhelmed because the CHR is, it definitely wears its heart on its sleeve. It, it looks like it wants to be taken seriously. And I've been let down in that sense by Toyotas uh, in the past. Uh, you know, they just, they're good at being Toyotas and then they're not great at being BMWs. I was really, really shocked by the chr it's fantastic to drive really because yeah I, i've heard i've heard some negative opinions of its okay. driving what have you heard about its driving uh just you know the mostly um that you know just felt kind of sloppy and you know didn't wasn't very responsive so it has a cvt i think it's cvt only um yeah it is that hurts its its uh powertrain responsiveness and even when you put it in manual mode or or sport mode uh yeah that part of it's not great um it's got a two liter four cylinder it's probably okay but again you put it together with the cvt and that that combo 
it's okay. Um, but the chassis tuning is really, really good. And the platform is, it's on the, the Toyota, it, it's TNGA, right? Toyota new generation architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's every car I've driven with this platform has had some promise. And this is probably the best tuned TNGA car. So at least taken on its own, you know, and I'm not comparing it with anything. Uh, you know, I'm not comparing it with a GTI, let's say, or, or anything like that. Um, taken on its own. It's, it's pleasant to, <laughs> to drive. It handles well. It rides with discipline. It, uh, it locks onto center, which is a consistent issue I have with Toyotas is that they, they tend to need a lot of um, small steering corrections for whatever reason, the way they align them or their, their front suspension geometry is just a way like they're annoying because you got to constantly keep tweaking the wheel back and forth. Um, not, not the CHR. Um, and, and the steering actually feels really good. It's, uh, it's electrically assisted. I think they have the motor on the column. Um, so that has the potential to not be good. It's, it's pretty good here. It's not like super feedback, but it's, it's good. And one of the things that this platform offers is a pretty solid mounting for the, the steering rack, which I think is one of the reasons why I like driving TNCA cars. So it's, you know, it got me curious, curious enough to look into like, okay, what, what did they do with this car that made it feel this way? Cause it feels really good for, for what I was expecting. Um, they tuned it on the Nürburgring, it's got a very large rear uh, sway bar. I think it's like 26 millimeters. So that's that's about an inch. It's a little more than an inch, one millimeter more than an inch. So that's a lot of uh, roll stiffness in the rear axle for something that probably weighs about 3,100 pounds. That's that's a that's good discipline wise. That's good. Um, so I I was shocked. I was very surprised. It definitely it's it's uh, it's it's. It, carrying a heavy load of styling on it for sure and it's not space efficient but it it's um it's entertaining i was i was surprised yeah i mean one one of the interesting things about uh the chr in north america at least is that it's not available with all-wheel drive right and that's the other thing that surprised me yeah it's it's front wheel drive only here other parts of the world you can get it in all-wheel drive but not here I and I think all-wheel drive might dull some of the sensation just because of the the weight and the sort of the f- powertrain, you know, the 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 way it would sap any kind of responsiveness or, or has the potential to. Uh, and you know, honestly, like it doesn't need front-wheel drive. I mean, if uh, all-wheel drive, it it certainly needs winter tires in a winter environment. But it like you know that that's for so many cars that actually come with all-wheel drive. Um, it's not the most practical thing, but it's it's a lot of expressiveness for a Toyota. And and when you see them actually walking the walk that they talked about, you know, this this is one of the goals, right, of of Akio Toyota is to to put that spark back in the brand. You know, he's he's a car enthusiast. Uh, mm-hmm. and he freely admitted, hey, our cars need a little more passion. Um uh, if this is indicative of it, it's moving in a in a positive direction. Um, it's kind of useless as a crossover, even though it, it it's ostensibly a crossover, just because well, it's kind of so. Tiny. So is the Chevy Bolt ostensibly, right? Right, and I think the Bolt might actually be a little more useful because it's kind of <laughs> carved out a little bit um, space wise. And I feel like the CHR is actually uh, so I had an XLE Premium. Uh, that gets it gets a little pricey, so it's stickered at twenty eight. Um, the XLE starts at like twenty four 
350, something like that. And I had a couple of uh, packages. So there was uh, like the, the premium package. It has a special color. Um, a few things to, to boost the price. And uh, 28 for this, that's really competitive territory. There's a lot of other vehicles uh, that have a lot of charm right in that that price range. I mean, honestly, if you want something overstyled that's entertaining to drive, you can get a Mini. Yeah. <laughs> for 28. <laughs> um, it might not be quite as well equipped, but I mean, Toyota infotainment sucks. <laughs> Still. Does does it have, does the uh, CHR have, it doesn't have the new Entune 3 system in it, does it? Uh, no, this one has the seven inch, they're calling it display audio. Um, it's, that's a, not a good system. Um, it, it, yeah, they're, they're phasing that one out now as, as they, they started with the Camry last year and now the new, uh, Avalon that they just launched it in Detroit, um, replacing it with, uh, with a a brand new system. It's it's been completely redesigned. Um, it's, it's the the old system was based on technology from Nuance. Uh, the new one is actually running on automotive grade Linux, um, and it's it in many ways it's vastly superior to the old one. Oh, uh, they finally put um, Android Auto or Apple CarPlay. In- CarPlay. CarPlay. That's the the, the Apple Car, one. Car, right? CarPlay only. No Android mm. Auto for now. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, when I when they introduced Entune 3 last year, you know, one of the things they added in there was um, Smart Device Link, which is the open source version of uh, Sync yeah. App Link. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I asked the Toyota uh, engineers at the time, said, are you going to also add uh, CarPlay and Android Auto support? You know, because Ford, Ford supports it on theirs. And they said, no, we, we have no plans to do that. So, you know, at, at that time, they had no plans to do you know, either of them. And now they've launched CarPlay and the Avalon. So maybe they'll still do Android auto at some point, but, um, who knows? Yeah. Uh, the, the consistent complaint I have about the Toyota system is just, it's, it's just crappy to use. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully, um, the, the new version of Entune is, is better. And, and the screens here are too bright. Uh, there's no way to, to dim the screens as much as I need to. And there's a screen in between the gauges that I also can't get dim enough. No. Um, I, I know it's kind you of just, an individual. Just got to, just got to start wearing your sunglasses at night. Yeah. Uh, so the, the film and video geek in me goes, I wish I had some neutral density that I could just <laughs> cut and just, you know, n- neutral density is this great gel and you just put it over lights and it knocks them down by, uh, a certain amount of intensity. Um, so I just wanted to ND the whole interior. Uh, and the, the neatest thing I thought was looking at the sticker. Uh, this is probably the first car I have driven. that was assembled in Turkey. Really? Turkey. Yeah. yeah. It's finally. Uh, well, actually, Turkey. Ha- did you drive the, did you ever drive the first generation, uh, transit connect? Oh yes, I did. And that Those was also from Turkey, Turkey too. That's right. And they shipped them over like with full interiors and then took the interiors out <laughs> to beat to, the chicken tax. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of those oddball things. Yeah, they 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 shipped over uh, passenger versions. All all the ones they shipped over were passenger versions. So they had the the window door the window doors on the you know and on the sides, and they um, they had seats. You know, two you know two rows of seats. Um, 
and as soon as they landed in port, you know, and cleared customs, they would send them to a, um, a modification shop and pull out the seats, gut the interiors, uh, take out the windows, put in uh, steel panels in place of the windows, and um, and then basically throw all those parts away. <laughs> that's because that's efficient. <laughs> it's cheaper, cheaper than the tax. Che- cheaper than paying the 25% right. import tax. Right. Um, this car certainly smelled better than the first generation Transit <laughs> Connect, which had a, a unique aroma about it. Um, but I, that was, I, I liked that vehicle. It was charming in its own way. And this one, so yeah. apparently Turkish cars are charming. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, all right. Let's, let's move on to the, to the auto show because that's where you were. And um, it seems like, it seems like Ford stole a bunch of thunder by having a presser, uh, a, a presser on Sunday. And then uh, the next day it was, this, this was definitely a truck show. Yeah. So actually, you know, things really got kicked off on Saturday night. Um, so Chevrolet did not actually have a press conference at the show proper this year. Um, they had their press conference on that. Uh, uh, they had the on Saturday night. They had a, a reception and the reveal of the 2019 Silverado, which they actually showed uh, at, at a customer event in Texas in December. But all they did was show one version of it. They didn't give any details of it. Um, and so they gave us more, a lot more detail this time. Uh, and then Saturday, Sunday afternoon, we had the Ford press conference where they unveiled, uh, publicly unveiled the, the new North American market Ranger. Uh, and then on Monday morning, uh, things got kicked off with the, uh, Ram press conference where they showed off the all new 2019 Ram 1500. So this, you know, the, the, the highlights of this show were really all about pickup trucks, uh, because pickup trucks are the cash cow that keep the, uh, American auto industry flow running. And, you know, it's, it's the profits from selling, you know, 900,000 F F series trucks a year that are what's paying for all the promises that the car makers made last week at CES about <laughs> automated and electric vehicles, you know, because without, without the, all the profits from, from those trucks coming in, they probably wouldn't be afford, they wouldn't be able to afford to fund the development of all that other technology that's coming down the road. Yeah, where the hell was my mid-engine Corvette? They've been talking about that, and it didn't happen. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, there, there was lots of rumors about that, um, and uh, I've got there's two two potential scenarios. One, the the mid-engine Corvette and all these spy photos we've been seeing of it are the most elaborate troll in history against Don Sherman by General Motors. <laughs> <laughs> Don you Sherman. know what? I think like no guy deserves it more. And I have never met Don, but just what I know about Don, yeah. nobody yeah. deserves it. More. Don, Don, Don is the technical editor at uh, Car and Driver, and um, so you know he's he's been going on about mid-engine Corvettes for since nineteen sixty-eight, twenty-five, thirty years at least. Yeah. <laughs> Well, at least you know in in print he's he's been doing it. you know probably he probably was born you know dreaming of mid engine Corvettes, um, and I like Don. I mean I've known Don for a long time, uh, but you know that's that's been his bailiwick. You know it if you're if you're somebody who uh, follows um, Apple technology analysts, um, you know you you may have heard the name Gene Munster over the years. For for years and years, Gene Munster was always proclaiming that Apple was about to release uh, a TV. 
uh, you know, like an actual TV yeah. screen. Um, and it, of course, it never happened. And, you know, Don is the, the gene monster of the mid-engine Corvette. So <laughs> um, the, the, the other possibility, and, you know, I, I actually, I was t- chatting with somebody from GM the other day at, at the show. And I said, so tell me. Is the mid-engine vet just this elaborate troll of Don? You know, is, is, is it real? Is are the spy photos we're seeing just some you know tube frame kit car with you know with a, a fiberglass body and some camo on it? You know, basically running a four-cylinder engine. That just would be so Don. worth it. Um, <laughs> and you know, he just smiled and then laughed. Um, but uh, the other the other more likely possibility actually is rather than showing it here in Detroit. Because the the reason for to build a mid engine Corvette would be to provide the basis for uh, a race car, uh, much as you know the reason Ford built the GT was to go racing at Le Mans, uh, you know, for years, you know, for the last uh, oh, almost twenty years now, you know, GM's been racing the the Corvettes in, in Le Mans and IMSA, um, and you know, recent more recently, you know, they've been um, you know, they've been battling hard against the, the Ford GTs and some of the other newer, uh, mid engine cars from Ferrari and Porsche. Um, so building a mid engine Corvette would give them a more competitive, potentially give them a more competitive platform. So the 24 hours of, of, of Daytona is coming up next weekend. That's another possible venue where they might reveal it. Um, or the, the other, what may actually be the most likely venue is in June at Le Mans in France. Okay. All right. So it's not it's not necessarily one of those things like told you it's not happening. Yeah. It may still happen. Well, there. I mean, I I think it's pretty clear at this point. We've seen enough spy photos that it's it's almost certain that there is one. I mean, I you know I joke about you know trolling Don, um, and you know that's certainly a possibility. But I I, I suspect that I, I I don't think you know GM would waste their time and and energy doing that. Um, not not to this degree. They, not new GM. Yeah, no. Yeah. This is it needs to be a little bit more fiscally uh, conservative. Right. Um, so so they're you know it'll probably come either next week at Daytona and if not then uh, then in June at Le Mans. Okay, so we we can still keep an eye out for it and it it may happen. And in the meantime, uh, you were saying before we started like this show was actually and Detroit's sort of the flagship U.S. show, but this this year. Th- Seemed like a little bit of a letdown. Uh, a bit, yeah. I mean, there was, you know, there were a lot of manufacturers that you know didn't even have uh, stands at the show this year. Um, Volvo, who you know won the uh, North American uh, Utility of the Year, um, they were not there. Uh, Mazda, uh, Mitsubishi, Jaguar, Land Rover, Porsche, all absent from the show floor. No, no, Mitsubishi had a stand. Well, well, had three out, cars. Out, in, out in the lobby, you know, local Mitsubishi dealers brought brought three vehicles and parked them out there. Oh, okay. And actually, similarly, um, you know, the local Detroit area Volvo dealers also brought uh, uh, four cars and, and parked them in the lobby. But uh, no, no official show stand. Uh, Russell Datz, uh, Volvo's uh, national PR manager, uh, was on hand to accept his awards uh, for the company, but uh, no, no official, no other official presence from Volvo at the show this year. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, you know, the the press conference schedule was a little light. Um, you know, a lot of a surprising amount of empty space on the show floor this year. 
Um, and so I, I suspect the organizers will be making some further schedule adjustments next year. Um, you know, maybe going back to, to two days or maybe even one, one day of all the manufacturer press conferences, um, because there's not really a whole lot of justification for spreading it out to three days. Um, yeah. I mean, what does that portend? Is it just, They've they've expanded the show too much, or the show used to be able to support that kind of expansion. And now, well, I th- you know, I, th- I mean, I, th- I think you know, there's a couple of things. You know, part of it is, um, you know, just in general, automakers are um, less inclined to do big reveals at auto shows um, for a couple of reasons. One, it's it's extremely expensive. I mean, it costs a lot of money to build a show stand and and do all the stuff to, to do an event at the auto show uh, versus doing a standalone event somewhere else. Um, and then, you know, secondarily, uh, part of it was, you know, kind of the, the product cadence. I mean, there's right now a lot of the manufacturers, you know, are kind of, they're, you know, in a, in a bit of a lull uh, between, uh, between announcements, you know, so what we saw, you know, this week is, you know, what there is that's ready right now. And, you know, we'll see more stuff later in the spring and, and, you know, in the fall. Uh, but right now, you know, that that's kind of all there is. Um, but on the other hand, what we did see, you know, there was actually some pretty interesting stuff in there. Like, you know, I, I joked about the trucks being what pays for all the autonomous and electric vehicle research, but, um, you know, those trucks, you know, there, there's a, a lot of technology going into those things like the Silverado, um, you know, it, GM, you know, made some hay, I think last year or the year before with some ads that they ran, um, you know, poking holes at the, uh, the Ford F-150, uh, literally. Um, when they, you know, dumped, you know, took a front end loader and dumped a bunch of cinder blocks into the bed of an F-150 um, and tore a hole in the aluminum bed. Um, and, uh, they did the same thing with a, with a Silverado and it was unscathed. And, um, so, you know, they, they've made some noise at their press conference, you know, revealing the, uh, the Silverado, uh, they took 450 pounds out of that thing and it still has a steel bed. Um, you know, all of the fixed panels are still steel. Um, and only the, what they referred to as the swing panels, the doors, the hood, the tailgate are aluminum. Um, everything else is still, you know, various grades of steel and high strength steels, but they still managed to take a lot of weight out of that thing. And, you know, um, because the, the previous generation F-150 was actually the heaviest of all of the, the three major pickup trucks. Yeah. I was going to say the GM trucks probably started off a lot lighter anyway. Yeah, they did. So, you know, with the 450 pounds they took out of this thing, it may well end up being pretty close to even with the aluminum F-150. Um, they've, you know, some of the other features they added in there, um, they've got, uh, the, you know, the new 10 speed transmission, uh, they announced, um, three different engines for now. Um, uh, there's going to be six powertrains in total. Uh, but right now they've only announced three, uh, the 5.3 liter V8, 6.2 liter V8 and an all new three liter diesel, uh, which will be the first diesel in the, the light duty pickups. But unlike the Ford and uh, Chrysler diesels, this one is an inline six, not a V6. Yeah, that's crazy to me. Um, the, the, is that something that they just had sort of kicking around somewhere? Did they decide to, to engineer an inline six from the ground up 
And it, it's, what a, else it's an all it's an all new engine. You know, I so, asked Dan Nicholson, the uh, VP of powertrain development or, or propulsion systems at uh, GM, about that, and he said, "No, nah, it does. It's it doesn't share its any of its dimensions. Yeah, you because know, that first thought, you know, maybe you know, share some of its architecture with the two point eight liter four cylinder diesel that's in the uh, Canyon in Colorado. Yeah, um, but it's not. It's it's different different bore spacing and everything. Um, so it's a completely unique engine." And they, the reason why they opted for an inline six is, you know, in the trucks, they had enough room to do an inline six, uh, you know, in terms of packaging it. And they decided, you know, that the, the NVH characteristics, the noise, vibration, and harshness were so much better with the inline six compared to a V6 that they opted to go that direction. So it's going to be a much smoother, quieter engine than the V6 engines in the, uh, the Ford and, and Ram pickups. Well, those are good reasons. And I, I will say that they're... Um their V8 diesel is pretty impressively refined. It, that, that's a quiet, smooth engine. You'd hardly know that's a diesel. Right. And that's the V8. So if, they, if they're starting off with an inline six, which, which is, you know, it has, has good manners. Um, yeah. Uh, it just it, it astounds me because it, it's, a, it's a long engine, although I guess you can get kind of clever with the packaging and, and shorten it down quite a bit. And, um, you know, three liters isn't – that's not – yeah, with modern engine design, you know, and yeah, like you say, three liters is not a huge engine. And with modern engine design, you know, they can they can actually uh, close up the bore spacing quite a bit um, and and make the engine surprisingly compact for for an inline six. Um, so I'll be I'll be curious to see that when it comes out uh, late this year. And then um, the other thing that they've added on the two V8s is they've got the first application of uh, uh, dynamic skip fire, which is a, a technology. We uh, last year, um, you know, after CES, uh, we ran an interview uh, that I did with Jim Zizelman of Delphi, and I'll include a link in the uh, uh, show notes to that one where he talked about the dynamic skip fire. But basically, it's a it's a technology developed by a company called Tula out of California that allows them to uh, randomly shut off up to seven cylinders, you know, so basically they can take it down to a single cylinder and, you know, they can, they can shut off, you know, engines for as little as a single crank rotation uh, or a single um, uh, power cycle, you know, so two crank rotations, you know, and it, rather than always shutting off the same cylinders, it's constantly shifting around which ones it's, so it's, you know, uh, chain, go, going through them in a, in a random order that helps the engine run smoother. And I tried. I haven't tried it in a V8 yet, but I did get a chance to uh, test drive uh, a four-cylinder, uh, a VW Passat, with the same technology on a four-cylinder engine last summer, and it was remarkably seamless. I mean, you would you would never guess that it, you know uh, that it was running on a single cylinder and and going back and forth to two, three, or four cylinders uh, dynamically depending on the the load on the engine. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. Uh... In terms of how it's how it's accepted in the marketplace, I mean, I think we've seen with the the MDS and uh, what I forget what Chevy displacement on demand is what it started off as. Uh, active fuel started. management is what they call it. Um, and that actually, the the branding that Chevy's using for this, I mean, Delphi and Tula call it dynamic skip fire. GM is actually calling it dynamic uh, fuel management. Okay, I, I mean, it seems like. We've all kind of accepted that all the old V eight six four jokes have kind of gone by the wayside, and it just seems like a technology that that works. Although there still were were some issues with it, it's and it's more stuff in the engine. But um, 
it's they're looking for those gains like you talked Mm -hmm. about you know you 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 always point out like especially in trucks because the fuel economy is is so inherently low even now um the gains it's it's easier to get a larger percentage gain um where you know putting and this this well and and doing you know doing the same percentage gain you know when you're starting at you know 16 or 18 miles per gallon you know, going to 22, 23, um, you know, gives you a much bigger um, savings in fuel consumption than going from, you know, 35 to 45, you know, you, right. uh, because it just because of the way the math works. And I can I can include a, a link to an article I wrote, I don't know, what, nine, 10 years ago on Autoblog Green that explains all that. Yeah, uh, I mean, I say but, right like I have some kind of authority. It's like, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Um, but no, I mean, it, it makes sense. Like if they were to put this on something like a Bolt, I'm not a Bolt, um, on, on something like a Sonic, um, it would work. And it would increase fuel economy, but it wouldn't. It, it wouldn't look that impressive. Yeah. It, so yeah, I mean, this this I think has the the ability to probably um, improve fuel efficiency by up to about ten percent. Yeah. So that's that's pretty good when you get like you know fifteen. Yeah. You know, ten percent of that's no joke. So. Yeah. So that's that's Chevy, and we'll be hearing a lot more details about the other powertrains over the coming months. You know, they'll it's one of those. You know, they talk about it now. They'll launch it in the fall sometime, and and between then and now and then, you know, we'll we'll be getting a continuous trickle of news uh, about that. Um, and then you know, Ford showed the Ranger, and you know, it was, it was interesting is, um, you know, when they dropped the Ranger from North America like five or six years ago. You know, they said, you know, the reason why they discontinued it you know, and, and why they didn't bring the the global ranger here at the time, they said, well, you know, it's it's too close. Um, you know, it, it would cost us almost as much to build a ranger as it does to build an F-150. And the difference in fuel economy is not going to be that big. Um, so, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't be worth it for customers. I think that's all. All of that is still true. The difference is that people have proven that they will ignore all of those things and buy the mid-sized truck. Well, there, there's there's also another really important difference too. Um, the the market for full-size trucks has actually shifted dr- dramatically towards premium versions of the trucks. So the average selling price of an F one fifty now is fifty eight thousand dollars. That's stupid. That truck's not that good. Well, I don't like the F series anyway. Well, and, well, and but I mean, you know, the, there's similar. There's been similar trends for all of the truck brands. So everybody's buying premium versions. So you know, forty percent of F one fifty sales now are like Lariat and Raptor and Limited and Platinum. You know, so nearly half, which is you know, it's that's crazy. But yeah, it, none it of is those trucks are, are like. Look, if you're spending fifty thousand dollars on a pickup truck, it better be like ready to work yeah <laughs> or, or but i mean i guess you know who am i to cast cast stones well that's if you want what a luxury you do. truck get a luxury truck <laughs> you know what like that's fine it's yeah. just you so okay yeah so you know the, <laughs> the ranger you know will give them an option you know at a at a lower price point you know they, they can price it much lower than an f-150 and, and still make a profit on it and well, see, that's that's my question can they because at a certain point the, the truck is the truck. It's It's got a frame. It's got an engine. It's got axles. It's transmissions. Like you can only shrink it so much that like traditional ladder frame construction only gets so cheap. And then you're, you're stuck. 
You know, well, so- I mean, they're they're not using an aluminum body on it. You know, it's still a steel body, uh, so that'll save them some cost. It's a four cylinder engine only, at least to launch. Uh, at some point, they may. They, I wouldn't be surprised to see them add um, either or both uh, the diesel from the F one fifty, the three three liter V six, um, and probably um, the hybrid powertrain that's going into the F one fifty in twenty twenty um, as as options in the uh, the Ranger and also the upcoming Bronco. Um, but for now it's, it's only the, the 2.3 liter EcoBoost that's in the Mustang, uh, is the only powertrain option. Um, uh, and then, you know, crew cab and, and extended cab versions, just like with the, uh, the, the GM, the color, the Chevy Colorado and GMC Canyon. So the one thing that you said that I think I, I forgot about for a little while, Bronco, that's probably going to be where this particular set of parts makes most of its profit. Yep. Almost um, certainly. Yeah. And, and I think the truck's going to be, the truck will be fine. It'll be what it is. It'll be great. But, uh, you know, for me, there's that issue where I'll drive something like uh, a Colorado or a Canyon. I'm like, yeah, it's a nice truck, but for the money you pay, usually you're better off and you can usually find actually a better deal on one of the full size pickups um, that will give you a little bit more room. Sometimes you, you trade off some, some options and some, some trim level stuff, but at the end of the day, you get a larger truck. Some people don't want a larger truck. So, okay. I'm glad that they're here, but economically I have a really hard time uh, seeing that they're going to make, you know, a a huge financial gain from this. Uh, Although I, I will say truck profits must be fat. Oh yeah, them to be able to to do this. Oh so, yeah, yeah. Especially, so, I mean, especially when you're selling, you know, like F four fifty limiteds, you know, for a hundred grand. Yeah, yeah, and I will say when we get those as uh, as press vehicles, they are delightful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> please send us as, nice trucks as long as you can fit it in your driveway. Uh, yeah, my drive. Well, and that's the other issue with the the mid sized trucks. Uh, they will fit in a garage if you have a condo or. Uh, you know, even some houses now, because, you know, a lot of builders are throwing up a house and they're just using dimensional lumber. So, you know, the house is only 24 feet deep and, you know, uh, the garages are tight and, and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you know, a, you know, full size truck often will not fit in those, you know, especially when they've added another four inches to the length as both GM as and, and Ram did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and the Ram, I really love the the styling of the new ram i mm-hmm. think they've they've done a great job keeping that truck fresh and and we finally get to see them shift away from the the crosshair grill and that sort of that almost uh reminiscent of the was it the forward look chryslers uh th- there was this point in time and i guess it was around 2005 when they introduced the uh the charger and the 300 where they they did this this sort of stylistic shift to bring back the, the crosshair grill and, and you know, the, the slanted front ends and stuff that, that made me think of at least the old forward look cars of the late fifties and mm-hmm. in a good way, like it looked good, but um, they've, they've seemed to have moved the Ram beyond that now to something new. Yeah. I mean, well, the, you know, the Ram, you know, has had the crosshair grill, you know, since uh, 93 or 94 when they introduced the T300 version, the first one that had the drop fender look, yep. you know, the, like the, you know, like the big, you know, class eight truck 
look. Um, and it's it's had the crosshair grill ever since then, you know, because that was that was always a Dodge signature thing, you know. But of course, over the last five, you know, six years or so, uh, Ram was separated from Dodge and made its own brand. Um, so, you know, a couple of years ago, they started to to shift the um, the the uh, grill design, you know, as they brought out special editions like the Limiteds and the, the Rebel and others, those special edition models uh, dispensed with the Crosshair grill. And now for the 2019 that's been completely redesigned, the Crosshair grill is gone entirely. But uh, go ahead. I was and it's a good to good effect. You know, seeing spy shots, it wasn't quite clear how it was going to all come together. It almost looked like there was echoes of of GM trucks in it and stuff. And, and you know, talking about styling is probably about the most shallow thing we can do. Yeah. But it's an auto show, and so that's what we that's have. That's all talk about. about. Yeah. But um, yeah, so you know, it's the the drop fender look is you know more subtle now. It's still there's you know you can still see a little bit of it there, but it's not as dramatic as it has been in the past. Um, but the, the really big news is actually under the hood of these things. Um, you know, so they're launching with the 3.6 liter Pentastar V6 and the 5.7 Hemi V8. And they're putting 48, val- or 48 volt mild hybrid systems on all of them. Um, right. It's going to be standard on, the, on the, all the V6s. So every V6 RAM is going to have a mild hybrid system on it. And it'll be optional on the, um, on, the, uh, for, on the V8s. But uh, talking to the, the um, FCA powertrain folks, um, they, they're expecting that the only ones that won't get sold with the mild hybrid will be you know, the, the low-end work truck versions that a lot of fleets buy. Uh, they'll, they'll probably take a pass on it, but they expect most retail customers will opt for the mild hybrid. Um, and you know, it's, it's going to be, I'll be curious to, to see how it drives. I've driven a few, uh, smaller vehicles with mild hybrids, but this will be the first truck application of this technology. And, um, you know, it, it, it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see how much of a boost in fuel economy they can get, you know, in general, you know, they, you know, most claims are, you know, that you can get about, um, 10 to 15 miles or 10 to 15% improvement in fuel economy with this technology. Um, and you know, what it does is, uh, it allows you to, you know, using a 48 volt start belted starter generator and a lithium ion battery, um, the auto stop start now can shut off the engine at about three or four miles an hour while the car, while the truck is still moving. Um, and then, you know, the bat, because the battery is larger, it can actually keep the engine off, you know, usually through an entire, um, you know, traffic sec- signal cycle, uh, and then, get the vehicle launched again on battery power and then start the en- start the engine up once it's already moving. Cause you know, a lot of people complain about the, the vibration when the engine restarts, but usually when you tend to, when you feel that vibration the most is if the engine restarts like in the middle of um, a traffic signal cycle and uh, your foot's still on the brake pedal, you know, so then when that happens, you've got, you know, that reaction force from the brakes, and that's what gives you the most vibration. If your foot's not on the pedal, most modern uh, vehicles with auto stop start, you don't even feel it. And so now because it can actually get the truck rolling and then restart it, you know, that won't be a problem anymore. And then the other yeah. thing they can do on the V8s, because they have the, um, the cylinder deactivation, is you know in the past you know if you had even a little bit of throttle tip in you know while you're driving you know it would usually kick back from four to eight cylinder uh control um 
but now with the uh, the mild hybrid, um, it can stay in four cylinder mode longer. You know, and if you've got you know if you're climbing a slight grade or you know you get a little bit of uh, tip in on the throttle, uh, it'll you know it can use the electric power to assist. And on the V6, the um, that starter generator can add about 90 foot pounds of torque. Uh, and on the V, the one on the V8 is good for about 130 foot pounds of torque. I want an extra 90 foot pounds of torque on my Pentastar. <laughs> I would, I would welcome that. Um, yeah, that's going to be interesting to see. And, and I'm, I'm really curious to see how it feels because like you say, uh, if you could get it rolling that, that, and I've noticed this, um, the stop start stuff is usually easier to take in a hybrid, mm-hmm. um, because it's it's less obtrusive, and you know hybrids have the the larger motors that start start the engine as well, so they don't have a smaller uh, like a traditional starter. So if they can smooth some of that stuff out, the truck's still going to feel really refined. And and truck buyers are picky, so oh, yeah, um, I, that that's an important thing to get over. Um, I was also shocked to see that uh, Ram is poised to. Are they poised to take number two? Maybe uh, off of uh, or, or three, probably three of off of truck sales. Uh, well, maybe. I mean, if, if you're going by brand as opposed to manufacturer, yeah. right? From GMC, um, I, th- I think they're already number three uh, because I think GMC. I think they're. I'm pretty sure they're ahead of GMC. Um, okay, but uh, you know they're still way behind Chevrolet and Ford. Um. But if you if you com- if you combine you know, if you go by manufacturer and you combine Chevrolet and GMC then they're they're much closer to Ford. Yeah, and that's well, that's always the the sort of joke about the the F series sort of best selling numbers. It's like yeah, okay, <laughs> fine, because um, I think what they quote is that the F one fifty is the best selling truck, and and that's you know a little bit specious, given how you know. Um, I, I think it the F one fifty still outsells the uh, combined sales of Silverado and um and Sierra, Sierra fifteen hundreds. So you know the the light duty versions. You know it's it's still I think it still outsells the other two combined. It uh it may be close. It's probably cl- it's a lot closer now than it used to be. But you know that usually what they quote now is the total. Uh, trucks that you know so the the 1500s the 2500s and the the 3500s combined uh so all the super duties plus the f-150 you know and the same for you know the gm hd trucks uh along with their their light duty trucks okay i'm just skeptical of numbers anymore (laughs) well as well you should be (laughs) never never, Um, never trust numbers yeah you know what let's move on from the the truck news though because ford uh, with that Sunday press conference, um, they made a pretty big splash. They they did a good job. They they exhumed a fifty year old movie for the third time, <laughs> <laughs> and they actually dug up the car. I was impressed that they found the hero car. And and Haggerty did a uh, I think Larry Webster wrote it uh, a beautiful story about um, the owner of that that movie hero car and where it's been it is sort of like hiding in plain sight for 50 years uh and that was really fascinating to read and and it was all nicely coordinated on sunday with the uh the press conference and the release of the 2019 bullet which is regardless of whether or not you 
know what the hell bullet is because i've had to explain that to people too it's a 50 year old <laughs> movie um you know, and, it's not and, like we, and, to, and to be honest aside from the chase scene it's actually not a great movie well see i'll have to go back and watch it um i I've wa- i watched it again recently audiences and, now are different too though right like i don't i don't know uh, you know i mean the the, the chase you know the, the chase between uh steve mcqueen's character driving the mustang and uh, the bad guys in a dot, black Dodge Charger is spectacular. I mean, nothing like that had ever been done before Bullet. Um, and, you know, it was it's it's truly amazing to watch, especially I mean, it's it's amazing to watch it now, um, you know, regardless of when it was made. But, you know, if you look at look at it in the context of 1968, you know, and what was being done then, it's even more remarkable that they were able to sh- to to create that chase scene. Yeah, well, and that chase scene almost didn't make it. There was, uh, and that's why it won the Oscar, even with the continuity errors. Um, it won the Oscar for best editing because of the clever way it was put together with overlapping action to save. Um, and it, it, there's an explosion like right at the mm-hmm. end, if I recall. Not not of the 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 charger explodes but there was there was something else that happened um and it was it went off too early and it almost sunk that whole scene and the editor cleverly used sort of overlapping action and juxtaposition to uh pull it off successfully and and so um hooray for us editors <laughs> yeah and uh, one of one of the two mustangs that was used in film in the filming of the movie um, and it, the one that was primarily driven by Steve McQueen in the movie, um, you know, ended up disappearing somewhere afterwards, you know, for the better part of 50 years. Um, well, actually, it, it was known where it was in the 1970s. And, you know, in 1977, McQueen actually did try to buy it back. Um, but uh, they, the owners were unwilling to sell it. And, you know, so then it kind of disappeared for pretty much the next 40 years and was only rediscovered uh, relatively recently. Yeah. And that's, that's a fascinating story. I think people, people should go read the Haggerty thing. Well, you know what? I'll make a note to put a link in there. Yeah. Um, Cause it was, that was a really nice article. Um, and it, it explains sort of just the, the family significance and, and the, the reasoning for, for not selling. Um, yeah. It, it, all of that stuff, regardless of all of that, um, it's just a nice speck of the Mustang. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, and it looks, I love the Highland green and mm-hmm. I, I'm not fully sold on the dark wheels, but wh- whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, they look better in person. I mean, you know, I, I think I probably would have preferred something that looked more like the, like the originals, yeah. uh, like they did on the, on the last, um, uh, bullet 10 years ago. But, um, the rest of the car, you know, is, is damn near perfect. Uh, yeah. you know, the, the color is fantastic. You know, they, the debadging as they've done with all the previous um, bullets, um, you know, so no, no pony, just the, just the bullet badge on the, the uh, trunk lid and, you know, nothing else on it. Uh, and it just, you know, it looks fantastic. And then mechanically, I, I was talking with Carl Widman, who's the uh, chief engineer on uh, Mustang now and what they've done uh, for, for this one, for the bullet is um, they put the, uh, GT350 intake manifold onto the five liter, uh, along with a larger throttle body, and then they also did some tweaks to the exhaust system to make it sound even better. And um, so it's going to have at least um, 
at least 475 horsepower, uh, you know, probably a little bit more than that uh, when it comes out the su- later this summer as a 2019 model. And uh, they're not talking price or um, volumes yet. You know, last time I think they did uh, eight or nine thousand a year for a two year model run. And and what did they cost? And what, what's your speculation? Uh, well, GT Mustang GTs start about uh, thirty five or thirty six now. You know, um, based on that's, the equipment that's in this one, you know, it's got the Recaro seats and everything. Um, I'm guessing it's probably going to be in the mid forties. So oh, that's prob- cheaper than I thought. I thought it might be like fifty five. Uh, I I don't think they'll go over fifty. Uh, because, you know, then you're going to start to be encroaching on the GT350. Uh, so I think, you know, de- probably somewhere between 45 and 50. 50, 50 I think, is the going to be the, the top end. Um, you know, I don't think they'll do go over 50 with this one. And then dealer market adjustments. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, then there is that. Um, um, so, yeah. yeah, unfortunately, that's... Such is the nature of uh, capitalism and and the U.S. Uh, automotive retail system. Yeah, but I, you know, I wonder if this is the last gasp for, um, for the bullet. And I'm actually, I, I'm finishing up a piece for Forbes because I'm I'm a couple days behind. But just sort of positing that, like I've had to explain what bullet is to people already. Uh, does it lose its its cultural significance? And and it's kind of okay if it does because it's still just a good car. But, you know, it's not like we make, um, I'm, what's that? I'm trying to look for it. It's not like we make Gone with the Wind, you know, carriages. <laughs> I don't know if that uh, actually, really works. I, actually, well, actually, I think there probably are some out there. But, I mean, there's all kinds <laughs> There's all kinds of other Gone with the Wind merchandise, so I wouldn't uh, be surprised if they're carriages. Well, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Casablanca, Jit, no, I know that exists. Uh, <laughs> But, but I mean, you get the, yeah. you get the, point, no, like, yeah, no, it, it, it's, it's a valid question. You know, I mean, at, at this point, how many people, you know, how, how many younger people even know who Steve McQueen is, you know, and how many well, of them I, know the yeah. movie bullet. And I think a lot of younger people actually do know who Steve McQueen is. Um, his, his career has seen this, this Renaissance, especially among enthusiasts, you know, they, they lionize the guy. Uh, Lamont is a very popular movie. Also, hot mess. Um, stunning to stun, visually stunning. Um, not so much of a great movie. Yeah, and and so, and here's my my complicated problem with Steve McQueen is that like I just I don't think he was a real like a I don't he wasn't a great person. Um, and and he, you know he, he was he was a deeply flawed individual. Yeah, and he was a he was a person. He was a human. So I'm mm-hmm. not gonna I'm not gonna go into detail, but just. And there's he a, had a, a tough good biography life. of him if if you're interested. Yeah. He he had a real tough life, but um, I have trouble with uh, holding any media figure up too high. So please, whoever holds me up as a hero, don't do that. I, I'm I'm <laughs> a deeply me, flawed. Dan individual. is not a hero. <laughs> uh, I would like to eat a hero. Um, <laughs> nice, you know, sandwich. Uh, but no, like, and I I'm finding actually that that this is like as I learn more about you know people and their, their backstory, uh, things that I really once held in high esteem, I hold in less high esteem. So, and that's, that's, that's not saying that, you know, Steve McQueen didn't do great work because he, he did. Um, yeah. I mean, the great escape and Papillon and I mean, some, you know, some of the movies he was in were really fantastic. Yeah. I just, I, I don't, 
see the need to, to hold him up as an idol. Like he was a dude who definitely enjoyed cars and motorcycles and, and, you know, adrenaline and uh, no qualms with any of that. Just, you know, uh, be, you know what? Be good. Don't, don't hold up any human being as an idol. Yeah. yeah. Res- respect the work they do if they do good work, but you know, we're, we're all just humans, you know, and you know, treat us as such. Yeah. All right. Moving on from, yes. <laughs> from our, our philosophy minute. Um, I actually didn't look much. Oh, you know what? Uh, the Mach 1. The, oh, the, yes. The Mach 1 EV. So, yeah. You know, um, after uh, after Jim Farley um, announced the bullet and actually um, it was uh, Molly McQueen, uh, Steve's granddaughter, who actually uh, really introduced it. She came out <laughs> and, and introduced, told a story about her grandfather and introduced the, the car. But then uh, Jim Farley came back out. And, um, you know, they uh, talked about, you know, Ford expanding its uh, investment in electrified vehicles from four and a half billion to eleven billion dollars. And then they ran this little video that um, they they showed uh, a Mustang and an Explorer um, heading into Detroit, into this uh, this building in, in uh, Corktown in Detroit called the factory where the uh, autonomous and, and EV teams are moving in uh, in the next couple of months. They, they made this announcement in December and they showed the cars driving into the factory and all kinds of lightning and, and everything. And um, then it flashed up the Mach 1 badge on there, which was a badge used on Mustangs, you know, primarily in the late 1960s, early 70s. Uh, and then it was later revived around 2000, 2001, I think. Um, and then Farley came out and said that there's going to be a, a high performance EV coming in 2020. And it's going to be a Mach 1. Right. And so we naturally assumed that that means, oh, Mustang Mach 1. But that is not necessarily the case yeah we it, it may very well be a crossover which personally i think would be absolutely sacrilege really uh, you know what? i have i have no issue with ford building uh a high performance electric crossover go for it just don't call it a mach one yeah i mean i i mean a mach one is a mustang le- sure le- you know let the retire the badge you right know, i mean if you're going to build a, a high performance electric mustang great call it a mach one if it's anything else, don't use that badge. Okay, I can get down with that. And actually, I was going to say, like, one of the other sacrileges would be to remake Bullet. Don't do that either. Yes, so. please. Actually, <laughs> don't don't remake any movie. Come yeah, up right. With Come up with some new ideas. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that's sort of to tie it back. Uh, those names are well known. Mach 1 still has some, some cachet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to say, well, it's a name we own. It's territory we own. People associate the Mach 1 with performance and Ford. So there's there's equity there. Let's consider using that equity. Yeah. And and they actually said, like, hey, guys, like, okay, we understand your reaction. We're not it's it's not a done deal. We're thinking about it, which says to me that part of this move was was to actually test reaction to the Mach 1 name for something other than a Mustang. And so maybe they got what they wanted out of it. Yeah. <laughs> they realized, like, hey, it might not fly. Um, so they're going to call it Probe instead. Because <laughs> <laughs> nobody likes that name. Uh, yeah, I, I'll be curious to see what it is, too. Like, whether it's um, a dedicated platform or, 
you know, whether whether it is just like an electrified um, explorer, which I, I would be horrified by. Uh, yeah, let's let's not even think about that for now. OK, well, let's uh, move on then. Yeah. So, you know, something else that Ford introduced uh, among the, the many things they talked about on Sunday uh, was the Ford Edge ST, uh, which actually I guess they they actually announced it before the show, but they, they showed it at the show, uh, which is a, a slightly higher performance version of, of the Edge, you know, slightly higher performance than the now retired Edge Sport, um, which had a 315 horsepower um twin turbo 2.7 liter v6 um the that engine is now bumped up to 335 horsepower for 2019 um it's got some braking upgrades and and other stuff which i had a chance to uh, sit down with jamal hamidi the chief engineer chief uh, chief engineer for ford performance uh and talk about uh, a little bit about his background and his you know his history you know uh, at ford and you know what what is you know when he when when they're developing you know vehicles under the ford performance banner and the bullet um is actually not a ford performance brand model it's coming from the primary the main mustang team so ford performance right now includes the st the rs cars um and the the shelby's the gt350 um and the gt500 which is coming up as well as the uh uh, the Ford GT, and so Jamal and I talked for about ten minutes uh, about you know what they, how they, how they came to create the the Edge ST. So why don't we run that one right now? So, Jamal, I, I think I first met you just about ten years ago at the preview of the GT500 KR uh, in Dearborn before you guys showed that off at the New York Auto Show. Yeah, so it's yeah. Been about I don't know about ten been years. Been doing this for a while. Yeah. So. When did you start with Ford? How, how long have you been with Ford? Uh, I started in 1991. Okay. And, straight out of school. And and what uh, what kind of stuff did you work on before you moved over to SVT? Uh, so I was a powertrain uh, calibration guy, and then uh, you know so powertrain calibrators kind of tuned the electronic systems for engine and transmissions, and then I kind of went upstream to uh, be the strategy guy. So now you develop the control systems. You're actually writing the software. Um, and then uh, did that and did some attribute stuff. And then also during that whole time, I did kind of a, uh, a nights and weekends job of uh, a trophy truck uh, okay. race engineer. And that we used to give a, a powertrain, like engine trans, harnesses, data logging. Yeah to a, a Baja trophy truck team. Okay. So I did that for eight years too. And when did you get involved with SVT, which is the precursor to um, what we now know as Ford Performance? Well, I, actually the, uh, the last Ford GT that we did, uh, so that started in 2002, and they were looking for people with racing backgrounds. Um, so they were like, hey, this, this guy, you know, he does you know, trophy all this truck, trophy truck. trucks. So um, that was that was how I got my job as a program manager for the last Ford GT. Okay. For Gen Two, Ford GT. And um, you know, it was it 2014? I think um, they uh, Ford merged uh, Team RS in Europe and SVT and Ford Racing into Ford Performance. Ford Performance, right? And so you you are the chief engineer for chief. So still chief nameplate engineer, or just chief engineer. Just for, chief engineer. Yeah. Okay. And 
um, kind of tell me a little bit about kind of what is the what do you see as the overall vision from a performance perspective for Ford Performance uh, and the vehicles that your team creates versus um, what is in the mainstream lineup. So whether that you know things like the the Mustang GT or the Fusion Sport or, or any other more you know sportier vehicle in the mainstream lineup how how does how do you see Ford performance as being distinct from that well it's you know uh, most of our products are taking an existing platform an existing nameplate and uh, expanding its capability in some way you know some are track focused some are uh, you know drag strip focused some are off-road focused but it's always uh, an expansion of the, the product's capability, uh, as well as a lot of times the aesthetics uh, that go hand in hand with that. So uh, it, it's just like taking an existing car and you know, kind of turning the volume up on it. Yeah. Yeah. And over, over the years, you know, between SVT and Team RS and, and now Ford Performance, um, there's been a, a Quite an array of different kinds of vehicles that have gone through there. I mean, everything from you know the the uh, you know the various Mustangs over the years to uh, the Focus SVT. There was a few or a Contour SVT at one point. Right. Um, the Raptor, <laughs> which is obviously very different from a, yeah. a GT or, or you know any of the other models, and now um, the newest product is is the Edge ST. And this is the first utility from Ford Performance, is that right? It is, yeah. And kind of what was, how did, how did you approach this, and was there anything different in the way you approached this vehicle versus what uh, Ford Performance has done before? Well, I mean, so one thing that like I take a lot of personal pride in, that really sets Ford Performance apart from any other performance group in the world is, is the breadth of what we do. You know, there's no other performance organization in the world that goes from, uh, you know, a B and C sized hot hatches to an off-road pickup truck to a rear-wheel drive V8 car uh, to a carbon fiber supercar. No one else does right. that. And so, you know, what that does is it gives us a lot of confidence that, you know, there's a lot of areas that we can go into and execute uh, very well. Uh, so the, so it, you know, we had a lot of confidence that you know we shouldn't limit the ST badge to just SUVs. But uh, you know, I was actually, to be completely honest with you, I was quite skeptical at first. And we went through uh, a drive where we basically rented every performance SUV out there. Uh, nearly all of them, you know, are premium brand SUVs and uh, went out west and took them on uh, very challenging roads, spent a lot of time on them, and spent a lot of time in them. And uh, of like those 10 SUVs that we rented, uh, there, was, there was one that was quite fun to drive. Only one was? Only one. That was that you wanted to. It, you didn't feel like you were flogging it mm -hmm. on a, on a mountain road, and you didn't feel like there was too much engine for not enough brake or chassis. Uh, and but there was one, and it wasn't the fastest one, 
but it was the most fun to drive. Yeah. And it, it everyone else, you were kind of going through the motions, but that one, uh, you actually had fun and you enjoyed yourself. And that, that's what, to me personally, kind of hit home, like, yeah, this works. We can do this. And was, was that, I mean, you know, there's a number of different sizes of, of vehicles in that class um, of, of some of these performance SUVs. And I think, you know, people can figure out probably which brands were, but was, was it a smaller one or one of the larger ones? You know, or, or I mean, were you looking at were you looking at all primarily at vehicles in the same roughly the same size class as no. the Edge? Or okay, it was the, the whole thread. gamut. Yeah. So um, was it a, a smaller vehicle, or, or I mean, what was what was it? You said it wasn't the fastest, but it wasn't it was the just, smallest. It wasn't the biggest. Okay. I'm not going to tell you which all one right. it was. All right, so. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> so when you when you tackled the Edge, I mean, what areas in particular did you really focus on? You know, to to make it earn that ST badge? Well, like first and foremost, it has to be super fun to drive. Mm -hmm. Like e even uh, more important than zero to 60 or lap times, which doesn't really translate to an SUV, uh, but it has to be fun to drive. And you know, when you put it on a, on a twisty, challenging road, everything has to work in balance between the, the engine, the transmission, you can't always be waiting for it to shift. And, uh, the handling and, and really the most important thing, especially to me in a SUV, are the brakes mm -hmm. because you know you're kind of at a higher CG. Uh, you actually have a great commanding view, which is e even better than a you know a normal sedan. But uh, the, to me, that's the most important thing is that, that the brakes really have to. So you upgraded the brakes for the ST? Absolutely, yeah. And you've got, I guess there's there's a standard brake package and there's an upgraded brake package as well. Right. Is that, yeah. is the, the standard brake packages, are those sliding calipers or are they also? They're, they're all sliding calipers. Okay, so the upgrade is yeah. also sliding caliper. Okay. Um, Which if you size a sliding caliper properly mm -hmm. with a rotor setup, you can you can get there. Okay. Um, and what about uh, the the powertrain? You know, I guess you've got the the, the new eight-speed, which is, is new for this year on on the Edge, and I guess a couple of other models, uh, the Nautilus and, and, and others. Um, but uh, did did you do special calibrations on the, the engine for the ST? calibration is unique? Yeah. yeah. And then um, the engine, um, we've already seen uh, the 2.7 liter uh, EcoBoost in a couple of other applications. Um, what's, is it just, is there any hardware changes or just calibration changes to what you did? It's primarily this? tuning. Okay. Which is similar to what we do on like a Fiesta ST mm -hmm. or a, you know, a Focus ST. Okay. And the EcoBoost engines are so great like that right. because they're so flexible uh, and you can, you know, you can make with just with just calibration. You can go from a you know something that you would, is more befitting a luxury car mm -hmm. to something all the way to like an RS, which is or even a GT. Certainly, GT has a lot of uh, hardware changes, but sure. like RS engine, you know, which with mostly just tuning. Okay, and uh, yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, you've got everything from variable valve timing to you know the turbos that you can work with and fuel delivery that you can get Race a lot out of. Wastegate control, it. DI, yeah, PFI. Okay, uh, so what? What would, pertinent for you personally, what would you like to tackle next? What sort of vehicle would you like to? 
Is there something something you haven't done that you'd like to try? Uh, there is, but I can't tell you what that <laughs> is either. Does that, does that mean it's something that will be coming sometime soon? Uh, if I do my job correctly, it will. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jamal. Yeah, thanks. Great to talk to you as always. Okay. Well, thank you for, for grabbing that interview with Jamal. Um, I'm still going to send him an email demanding a manual transmission in that <laughs> crossover. And uh, yeah, also in in the list, we had the um, the Lexus LF1 Limitless, which is a dopey name, and it's a kind of a weird-looking thing. People, It looks I, a lot better in person than yeah, it does it, in photos. I was watching from, from the Twitter, mostly, uh, and it seemed like, man, people just did not like styling this year. Uh, <laughs> the... The other, uh, maybe it was just Toyota styling. This this Lexus got a lot of crap for its grill, which I think is it's an interesting grill. It looks like it might harm you. <laughs> um, but uh, the other car that it took a bunch of crap was the Avalon, and I was like, yeah, it's, it's an Avalon, guys. Like, it, but it does. It has also a large grill um, treatment. Uh, but yeah, what what interested you about the the LF one, the Lexus? Um, I I just I like the way it looks, you know, including the grill. Um, okay. you know, and, and that, that gold color they had on it, it actually it looks really cool. Um, you know, and unlike, you know, the RX, which has been, um, Lexus's per- perennial bestseller. Yeah. Uh, I do not like the way that looks. Yeah. It's the, a dull car. The, the RX, <laughs> uh, or the, the, sorry, the LF one, um, is actually built on a rear drive platform. It's shared, you know, it's built on the platform of the, the LS and LC, um, so it's, it's a rear drive platform. And, you know, when you look at it in profile, you know, it's got the, the long hood proportions. It looks more like a performance vehicle. Um, and, uh, you know, I think this, this thing could be really interesting. Well, are they looking to establish a crossover that, uh, does, you know, almost work like an LC for them in the, in the crossover realm, just, just to have I, that kind of, I, I, I think, I think that is the case because, you know, I mean, they've got a bunch of other utilities, you know, they've got, they've got the compact NX, they've got the RX, um, you know, and then they've got the big, um, you know, body on frame, you know, um, uh, GX and, and LX models, you know, uh, so, you know, I think this ultimately, I, you know, I think this is actually going to slot into the lineup as a replacement for the, for the GS sedan, which has, you know, huh. always been, you know, a surprisingly slow seller. Um, and you know, it's when, you know, at some point in the next year or so, if it's not already, um, that one's going to fade away from the lineup. And instead of replacing it with yet another GS sedan, um, I think they're going to use the, the LF1, you know, or a production version of the LF1 is as the replacement for that, um, you know, and offer uh, a high performance uh, utility vehicle. You know what? That's, That's a smart move. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, for, you know, for whatever you may think of the idea of high performance utility vehicles, the market seems to like them. Um, can we just, uh, yes, we can just point over to the Mercedes stand and then yeah. their absurd uh, G Wagon thing. It, it was, where was that? It was the uh, Michigan? Theater? It was at the Michigan Theater in Detroit. Yeah. It was, that was quite an, um, quite the performance. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I, so, 
I love the G-Wagon and I hate the G-Wagon because it's just, it's used as a minivan by all of the very wealthy families around here. And it's so absurd. You know, like you have, you have a turbo V8 and fully locking axles <laughs> and a locking center differential. You, legit you, four-wheel drive. You, you have a vehicle that has the off-road capabilities of a Wrangler. Right. You it, know, was or... de- <laughs> it was designed for the Iranian military. Yeah. I mean, that was its first customer. Was was I either Iranian or Israel? I maybe no, it was, Israel, it, was it was it was the Iranian army. Was um, it? Okay. The Shah, yeah, the Shah had ordered these things uh, from Mercedes, and you know, Mercedes worked with. Uh, to develop it <laughs> and by the time it was done the Shah had been deposed uh, so suddenly they had no customer for it and then when the uh, when the Argentinians got into uh, a little spat with the Brit with the British the over, over some yeah some tiny little islands in the middle of the South Pacific uh, or South Atlantic yeah, you know, uh, they decided. Yeah, you know, we probably shouldn't be driving Land Rovers anymore, and so they swapped them for <laughs> so let's drive swapped Mercedes. Them for, swapped them for G wagons instead. Jesus. Well, and apparently, uh, when there was um, divided Germany, East Germany, West Germany, they were they were used as military vehicles there too. So yeah, but that um, wasn't until later. Yeah. Uh, so th- yes, just to to get. I forget what point I was making. Oh, uh, luxury performance utilities. People people will buy them no matter how absurd. And the, the G-Wagon is definitely absurd. Uh, and the, the problem with the Lexus GS is that it's it's too big and it's too small. You know, it's uh, it's right in between the LS uh, and the – which it's, it's not that much smaller than the LS, but it's also not – you know, not that much bigger. It's significantly bigger than the IS, but it's not small enough to play as well as the IS. I guess mm-hmm. I'm I'm making a very crappy point about making my point, but you see what I'm saying? It's it's the odd man out. I can see why it doesn't sell because it's it's just like why wouldn't you just get the LS? Or if you wanted something smaller, why wouldn't you just get the IS? Yeah, no, uh, I agree. Uh, but <laughs> given, given all that, you know, customers are, you know, are going to buy G wagons, you know, and very wealthy customers will buy them. And so now you have something that looks like, you know, pretty much like a G wagon has always looked for 30 odd years. Um, but now it has, you know, a, a modern Mercedes interior that looks like it's straight out of an E class. I do like the interior in the G wagon. Do, do the doors, I, I hope the doors still click shut like, old school B, uh, Mercedes. Cause that's, Oh yeah. Th- that's what impressed me the most. Um, we, every year we do a, uh, local auto writers sort of winter vehicle roundup thing. And, uh, one year Ezra Dyer, who was writing for automobile at the time, uh, convinced Mercedes to send a G wagon up and put a Curtis plow on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it was, it was there and we took it, we took it for a ride and yeah, it was just, it was, it was definitely, old Mercedes just in the best of ways, you know, you get in the doors just effortlessly just click shut with that, that sound, you know, that like that was, that was the E class. That was the S class. That, that was what Mercedes were. And it was just impressive in, in that way. Um, and, and yeah, and I was also charmed by it because I, I think it was made. I think the factory that it was made in also built Vanigans. And then I think it was building BMW X3s by that point. 
I was just it was yeah. interesting to know the history. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it, it's it was it always has been and still is made, you know, at the uh, Stierpuk, uh factory in Graz, Austria, uh, which is now Magna Stier. And, um, yeah, and of course, you know, since it's made in, made in Graz, um, they had to bring out something else made in Graz, you know, which is, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, to proclaim <laughs> his, to proclaim his love for the G wagon, uh, and how he has long owned G wagons and, and always loved them and adored them. And strangely enough, he made no mention of his, uh, former, his former adoration for the Hummer, uh, you know, since he was the one who convinced, um, AM general and then GM to, to build the H one, uh, for civilian purposes, you know, cause it was at the, at the time it was always just a military vehicle. Um, no, no mention of that one, but, uh, yeah. but he does, he does love his G wagons. Well, let's also be very clear. Arnold may have been born in Austria, but he was made in America. <laughs> That's <laughs> very good point. <laughs> okay. Um, we've had enough, enough fun with that. Uh, our predictions, by the way, for, uh, North American car and truck of the year, I think, how, how did we do? I, I think, I think we predicted them all correctly if, if I'm not mistaken. And if not, we'll have to go back and re-edit last week's show. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, uh, the car of the year is the, uh, 2018 Honda Accord. Um, the utility of the year was the Volvo XC60 and the truck of the year was also a utility, the uh, Lincoln Navigator. Yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe we had some, some split opinion on the Navigator or the Expedition, but we figured it would be one of those two. Yeah. So it's, it is one of those two. So, so and, um, first, first time ever for a big award like that for Lincoln. Good, good for them. Uh, their sales, I think are actually up. Um, for what it sounds like, I I would like to uh, to talk to Lincoln, <laughs> <laughs> um, just just to see like what their what their plan is. Like I think they could probably do better, and apparently they're doing okay. But I they could probably do better if they let people know that they're still alive instead of just like having weird Matthew McConaughey tying up tie ups. <laughs> um, I mean the Navigator is a that's an impressive. Uh, relaunch you know it, it looks great um i think it's it's the right combo of capability luxury and and, and tech so uh, and it's it's unique among the big trucks you know it's not like the the tahoe or the escalate even yeah know, it's, it's different and i mean everybody i've talked to has driven it you know is really impressed by it and uh, i've got one scheduled now for the end of next month um so we'll i'll let you know right after the i'll be going from the jeep grand cherokee Trackhawk into the navigator should be a good time. Yeah. The Grand Cherokee Trackhawk could probably tow the Navigator and still out accelerate it. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Possibly. I would be. I would be. Uh, assume, assuming that the Grand Cherokee Trackhawk can uh, get any traction in uh, February weather in Michigan. Well, I mean, it's got uh, command track or whatever they call a quadra. I don't. Uh, even I don't. Know. I don't know if the Trackhawk does or not. I, it's got to have some kind of all-wheel drive. With, with, my, I, with my luck, they'll probably send it on summer tires. <laughs> Just drive it anyway. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm sorry I bent your thing. You should have sent it with the right tires. Um, yeah, that's probably not the best way to continue to get vehicles. Um, so did you have any any questions? We had one from Facebook, actually, that uh, I um, – assigned to you because you can assign questions with facebook and i don't think anybody's really? seen it yeah and i have i have this problem where i like i don't know how to use facebook and i 
don't want to. What what was the question? Um hang on, let me let me dig it up. Uh let's see. Um it came in a few weeks ago and it's loading because it needs to load all of its uh tracking things. It's from Tyson. And uh he he enjoys the show, he likes the longer podcast. Um, he wants us to talk about budget endurance racing more often and maybe even try it. So, um, yeah, I'd love so to try I'm, lemons. I'm assuming he's referring to things like lemons. I would love to try lemons. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, so it's, it's fun to watch. And I mean, a, a bunch of my friends do it. Uh, you know, a bunch of the, uh, auto journal journalists around here are involved in lemons racing. You know, Mike Austin, Tony Swan, um, you know, they're, they, they all race lemons cars. Um, and it, it, you know, for for those not familiar with uh, the Lemons series, uh, debuted what about nine, ten years ago? Uh, maybe even yeah. It started getting real notice then. I think it's yeah. actually older than that. Yeah. Yeah. So the the basic premise behind Lemons is that uh, competitors are not allowed to spend more than five hundred dollars on the car. Uh, the you know, the only thing that they can go over 500, you know, beyond $500. So the $500 does not include safety equipment. So roll cage and fire extinguishers. Um, you know, so that's not counted towards the $500 budget. And, you know, you basically bring whatever you want, you know, for under up to 500 bucks to the track and you go and run it for, you know, 10, 12, 24 hours uh, with with your friends and, um, you know, whoever is still running at the end and, and uh, you know, happens to go the farthest wins. Um, and if uh, if perchance, you know, anybody happens to be going suspiciously fast, um, any other competitors can challenge and buy the car for five hundred dollars. Uh, and so, you know, you have an incentive not to overspend just to get a little faster, um, you know, because, you know, if you go too fast, then anybody else can buy the car off of you um, and you may lose your investment. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool series. And there's some very creative cars that show up uh, for Lemons races. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes they're upside down. Um, you know, they have all kinds of weird bodies on them. They have um shall we say uh less than stock combinations of powertrains and and chassis and bodies um so there's there's some interesting stuff out there if you want to check it out i actually i love it um because i i think that it's 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 so pure in terms of racing it's like yeah find a thing with wheels put the powertrain you want in it it's not you know it's not a it, like nascar right is is a spec series those cars they're not stock cars they're, there's nothing spec about right. about uh, lemons yeah um and, and it's not to diminish from any of the other sort of much more organized and professional series but i like sort of how how loose lemons is and they've they've tied it up a bit as they've they've sort of grown into it um because you know racing is is an endeavor and uh so insurance and costs and you know they they've did discover like, Hey, we, we really do have to, to officialize some of this. Um, but it's still really at its base level. It's, it's going around a track, you know, at speed for as long as you can, <laughs> you know, and, and just have a, having a good time. It's, it's, you know, it's how we all got to high school every day. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, I, I like budget endurance racing. Um, I would like to actually do, 
do some of it uh, one of these days. So uh, he also wanted us to uh, have a good long talk on an upcoming episode. So we can just tee this up as just to sum up our thoughts on how how soon automated cars and transport trucks will uh, we be actually on the road. Um, I think at one point on the podcast, both you and I said, like, we're not going to see them uh, anytime soon. Um, but maybe dig into well, that topic a little more. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we'll we'll definitely talk about that some more. You know, I guess it depends on you know kind of how how you're defining it. You know, are are we talking about you know the majority of cars being automated, or you know having a handful of cars automated? I mean, if it's a handful, there's a handful out there on the road today. You know, in a variety of different locations. Um, you know, and then you know it it spreads out from there. Um, you know, GM. You know, uh, we didn't talk about this earlier, but uh, at the end of last week, just before the auto show, uh, GM uh, announced the Cruise AV, um, which is oh, not yeah. which is not a, a Chevy Cruise, but is in fact a Chevrolet Bolt uh, automated vehicle with no steering wheel, pedals, or mirror and mirrors. And I actually, I saw it today. I had a meeting at the the Renaissance Center this morning, and they they had it on display uh, in the lobby. Um, you know, and it's. It's got you know no mirrors, uh, no 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 human controls at all, and um, they're they've filed they've uh, submitted an application for a waiver to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration uh, to allow them to build up to twenty five hundred of these next year, um, and so we'll I, I I think it's probably reasonable to assume that NHTSA is going to approve it because the current administration does not seem to have stomach for any kind of actual regulations. Um, and so, you know, they, they will almost certainly give them the green light to, uh, to go ahead and build these and deploy them next year. And, yes. G, and GM has promised to do that, to deploy autonomous bolts in 2019. And I, I think on a, on a larger scale, um, we are probably are going to see automation proliferate more uh in things like shipping and and public transport and stuff like that that's probably where you're going to see it it catch on uh faster and and more deeply than personal cars but that's that's my speculation yeah and you know again you know kind of depends on you know how you're defining automation you know uh there's a company out of california called peloton technologies that's you know that's developed a a truck platooning system and you know it's it's been they've been testing it and um it's actually uh going to be deployed uh pretty soon like you know some if it hasn't already launched in a couple of states uh it will be launching very soon um you know to allow trucks to uh operate you know very close together on the road you know basically the uh the following you know the lead truck you know is sending signals over vehicle to vehicle communications to the following truck um you know enabling it to basically tuck right in underneath you know in the in the draft you know and testing has shown that you know you can save up to uh 10% in fuel consumption doing that so you know those are those are on the those another one that's on the road now and there'll be a lot more of those in the coming years yeah and i think it seems that uh what's what's uh motivating tyson to to fret about this stuff is that he's a professional truck driver and and so is his wife uh, or his wife is a, a transit bus driver. So, um, you know, they, they talk about it and, and neither he or I, uh, neither, neither he or his wife, I'm reading his email. So <laughs> uh, he's saying, I don't think she or I will be replaced anytime soon. Although, uh, the, the grand tour guys say it's probably 20 years away. Um, I think that timeline is 
possibly too long. I think we're going to see more automation in less than 20 years. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it depends. Um, like I said, it dep- it, it's going to depend on the applications. Um, yeah. And, you know, certainly I think for, for trucking, especially long haul trucking, um, one of the issues that they have in the trucking industry is, you know, there, there actually really is a shortage of truck drivers. Uh, increasingly, young drivers don't want to drive long haul trucks. Um, and, you know, the average age of long haul truckers is has been climbing steadily over the last 10 or 15 years. And I think it's in the mid to upper 50s now. Yeah. Um, so but part of that, though, is like that's not necessarily just that they don't want to drive the trucks. It's how the drivers are treated. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's certainly a factor. But I mean, even for owner operators, you know, the, the cost of, of doing it, you know, versus what you make. Um, you know, and, and the workload, you know, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not an easy job. It's, it's a tough right. job to, you know, to drive for 10, you know, drive a, a class eight truck for 10 hours a day. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are, you know, more and more, it's hard to find people that are interested in doing that. I mean, there are, yeah. there's obviously some people, but it's, it's, it's tough to recruit people into that, that line of work. And so, you know, I think we're, we're going to see a mix of, you know, um, automation taking over you know but i think a lot of the people that are doing it now you know they're going to be they're going to be approaching retirement age anyway as they you know get to the point where where their jobs are likely to be lost uh to automation yeah well i mean the last time we really romanticized trucking was the 70s yeah (laughs) so maybe we just need another cb boom Um, (laughs) there you go yeah. So, uh, and he he wraps up. He says that he heard you uh, drove on the Ridge Racetrack in Washington State, and he says that that's his favorite track in the Pacific Northwest. It's it's a fantastic track. That's that's where I drove the uh, the Civic Type R last fall, and uh, did about twenty laps in the Type R, and oh, it was so much fun. And the, <laughs> the, the other the other the other thing that's fun there at uh, the Ridge is they also have a go kart track there that is a one quarter scale replica of the full size track. Oh, that's um, awesome. So, you know, same, all the same profiles, you know, just a quarter scale and you can race carts on there. That's, I mean, speaking of budget racing. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're, uh, you know, if you're interested in, you know, getting into um, racing on a budget, I mean, there, there's a, there's a number of ways you can do it. You know, one of them is, is go karts. Um, you know, there's also autocross, you know, is a fairly affordable way of getting into uh, motorsports. you know, without blowing too big a fortune. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, as, as Roger Penske once said, the, the quickest way to make a small fortune in, in racing is to start with a large one. Yeah. And I, I mean, yes, it's expensive, but I, you know, so, so is other stuff like, like boating, for example. Oh, yeah. And it's not anywhere near as thrilling. Uh, well, well, it dep- depends <laughs> what kind of boat you're, you're, yeah, uh, it's, it's, you're sailing, but it, it, car people are better. Yes, that's true. Absolutely. <laughs> I was always interested in the engines and the boats. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I think we've we've done it. It's an hour and a half. I think it's time. Unless there's anything else you wanted to uh, to cover. Uh, no, I think that's good for this week. All right. Good. Well, we'll catch up with everybody uh, next week. Thanks for listening. All right. Bye. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.